ship captains have a pretty simple mission generally. It is, whether it's rough seas or calm seas, it is to guide their crew and their passengers safely into the destination harbor. Um, at least that's, that's, that's the idea. Um, you may remember, I'm sure you remember, uh, last month, January the 13th, the story and, and more vividly the images of the Costa Concordia sinking off the idyllic coast of Tuscany uh, by Italy there, the images that went around the world were, went viral and, and, and caused just, a, just a, lot of, a lot of talk about cruises, uh, about what the qualifications are to be a captain of a ship, all this kind of stuff, because uh, Captain Francesco Chitino is right at the middle of this, and it's kind of the story that keeps on giving. I mean, there's more and more details coming out uh, basically every day about how this guy messed up. What he had hoped for was to give folks on this island a near-shore salute. You know, the ship comes up really close, totally illuminated, late at night, and blasts the horns of the ship, and, and the people on board the ship are delighted, and the people on shore are delighted. And it's just really, it was going to be a really, really cool spectacle. Of course, what they ended up with was, instead of delight, what was, was shock, um, off these Italian, shallow Italian waters, Captain Chitino managed to sink this $570 million cruise ship on these, on these surf-covered rocks. Um, below the water, when impact was made, below the water, um, there was opened up a 160-foot-long gash. Um, and of course, they come over the loudspeakers and say, we're having some minor electrical problems because all the lights go off in the ship, and, and people may have bought that for a moment until the ship started listing over to one side more and more and more. And as the situation deteriorated, people started to freak out, all right? And, and, and in what looked less like a pleasure cruise and more like the final scenes of the movie Titanic, many began to jump over the side of the boat and try to swim to safety. And perhaps the most, um, the most interesting, engaging part of the story that's gotten everyone's attention is the fact that Captain Chitino, through much of the rescue efforts, was nowhere to be found. Um, he had fallen overboard. This is part of one of his stories, one of the versions he told. Fell overboard into a life raft, ended up on shore. And, and then you remember the famous interviews with Italian authorities basically trying to evacuate the ship. And, and the Italian uh, Coast Guard fellow is saying, where are you? And, and anyway, can't believe you violated the age-old principle that you are supposed to be, as the captain, the very last one off of the ship. Looking back on the fateful uh, string of events that, that caused this this disaster at sea, um, the captain, his desire to quite literally showboat, um, led the ship into these perilously shallow waters um, far off of the ship's computer-programmed route. Not only that, but Chitino had turned off the navigational alarm system on board the ship, and as a result, um, 17 souls were confirmed dead, and there are another 15 who are missing, and at this point can only be presumed to be dead as well. Scores of people involved in this, in this tremendous disaster. This was um, kind of the picture, the image of what epic fail looks like. But here's the thing. You go back before the disaster, 
Um, Captain Francesco Chettino would have been exactly the kind of guy you would have wanted at the helm of the ship on which you were a passenger. This, this well-tanned Italian um, with lots of experience, bushy hair, and an engaging, charismatic personality it is exactly the kind of guy you would imagine would be a great sea captain. And in fact, kind of looking at, at his his references as a person, um, you would have thought that. I mean, he comes from an ancestry that is a seafaring ancestry. Generations of his family had made their, their livelihood on the ocean. He was well-trained. He went to the Nino Bixio Nautical Institute, which, which is supposed to be one of the best, I guess. And, and also, you have experience. This guy had 30-plus years of experience um, on the sea. But despite all that Francesco Chitino had going for him, he managed to blow it royally with a series of disastrous mistakes. Um, currently, the guy is under house arrest. Um, Chitino is being charged with a variety of things. And, and if he's convicted of all of the charges uh, of which, he has been, uh, which have been leveled against him, he, he stands to serve over 25 Hundred years in jail. I don't know about you, but when your prison term is measured in millennia, that's not a good thing, you know? I'm sure, I'm sure when your cell, cellmate is telling you, hey, what are you in for? I'm in here for 25 years for, for some theft. And Shatino's like, I'm in for 25 centuries, you know, that's going to be. But this guy has really become a symbol of, of really having everything and managing to, to squander it. How many people have been, have been dealt an exceptionally good hand by life? Um, how many people ha have been given so much and have squandered so much in catastrophic failure? You know? um, how many have been blessed with, with intelligence? How many have been blessed with, with good training, good education? How many have been blessed with, with incredible opportunities or even wealth and have managed to shipwreck you know, their family or their career or their ministry or their life savings? Um, sometimes, despite all people have going for them, they seem somehow determined to steer into the rocks. All right? King Rehoboam, 1 Kings chapter 12. King Rehoboam was precisely one of these kinds of people. He managed to shipwreck an entire nation that he was called to lead, despite the fact that Rehoboam started out with incredible potential. I mean, you think about this guy. His father was King Solomon, identified in the Bible despite some of his personal failings. He was identified as a man of... Of, of incomparable wisdom and discernment. His grandfather was, was David. I mean, need I say more? A, a, a legend. Um, this guy um, had, had at his disposal, Rehoboam, an astronomical family fortune. So, when Rehoboam's father Solomon died, it looked like everything was set up just perfectly for him to succeed. His royal pedigree was impeccable. His, his access to the advisors who had advised grandfather 
and, and father were in place. Everything was set up for his reign to start out at, at, at kind of a running start, okay? And he was 41. He wasn't some teenager when he assumed the throne. So everything looked to be just right. So Rehoboam goes to Shechem, where all of the people are waiting to coronate him and for him to begin his reign as king over the 12 united tribes of Israel. As his reign begins, though, the people make a request. If you have your Bible open to 1 Kings chapter 12, here goes. Might start in verse 1. Verse 1 of 1 Kings 12 just says, Rehoboam went to Shechem, where everyone was waiting to crown him Now, moving down to verse 4, here is the request that the people make of this brand new king. The people say to him, your father, Solomon, put a heavy yoke on us, but now lighten the harsh labor and the heavy yoke he put on us, and we will serve you. You know, Solomon had put heavy taxation and labor requirements on the people. He had these, these extravagant colossal building projects. Um, He had lots of personal expenses. I mean, the guy had a thousand wives and concubines, and Solomon also lived quite the luxurious lifestyle, so there were some heavy demands for work and for taxation put on the people um, while he was was reigning as king. And so so they request, hey, can you lighten up a little bit on us Um, we are really drained. I mean, your father really kind of of squeezed everything he could out of us. If you could just lighten up a little bit. Rehoboam says, you know what? I'll think about it. Give me about three days to, to consult some folks and to think about it, and I will return with an answer. So the first group of people that he goes to are exactly um, these trusted um, older, wise advisors who had advised King Solomon. Okay? And he says, what do you guys think that I should, should do? Um, and and, and here, is, here is their answer. Their answer is for him to 1 Kings chapter 12, verse 7. It's this. If today you will be a servant to these people and serve them and give them a favorable answer, they will always be your servants. Smooth sailing. Show the people that you are a leader who cares about their situation. You are a leader who understands how hard their lives are. Give them a favorable answer. Lighten up a little bit. And these people are going to be loyal subjects of yours for as long as they live. So far, so good. (laughs) Now, Captain Shatino could have said things were perfect as well, right up until moments before that ship impacted on the rocks off of Tuscany. Well, everything looks just fine at this point. Um, Unfortunately for the king, for his people... And for the future of his brand new government, 1 Kings chapter 12, verse 8 tells us that Rehoboam rejected the advice given him 
by the elders, rejected the advice that these old advisors gave him. So unhappy with the advice of these, of these seasoned counselors, Rehoboam takes the helm and steers toward the advice of his, of his entourage, of his crew. Um, he goes to these, these younger men that he had grown up with. You know, he had always been the guy with bottomless pockets, and so you can imagine he was all, always the center of attention um, when it came to, you know, who's going to foot the bill for this party or who's going to take care of us. So he had these, these guys around him who had been around him forever were his peer group, were kind of his crew, and so he goes to them for for advice. Now they think of Rehoboam as friend slash sugar daddy. Here is the advice they give him starting in verse 8. Rehoboam rejected the advice the elders gave him, consulted the young men who had grown up with him and were serving him. Right? He asked them, what is your advice? How should we answer these people who say to me, lighten the, the, loke, your, the yoke your father Put on us. Verse 10, the young men who had grown up with him replied, Tell these people who have said to you, Your father put a heavy yoke on us, but um, make our yoke lighter. Tell them, My little finger is thicker than my father's waist. My father laid a heavy yoke on you. Well, I will make it even heavier. My father scourged you with whips. I will scourge you with scorpions. Have you ever heard the expression, beatings will continue until morale improves? Here's where it started. Here's where it started, King Rehoboam. Now here's my summary of the advice that was, that was given him by his, his buddies, by his pals. Lighten the yoke your father put on us. You're going to let the people tell you how to run your kingdom? This is your chance, man. This is your chance to make a stand. This is your chance to make a statement. This is your chance to let everybody know who's in control. You are the boss, not them. You are the one with the crown on your head, not them. They tell you to lighten up. You need to crank down on them. They ain't seen nothing yet. Your little finger is thicker than your father's waist. You're going to show these people that you are a leader to be feared. Well, that was the advice he wanted to hear. So, verse 15, it says this. So the king did not listen to the people, to his subjects. He listened to his friends, right? Didn't listen to the people. So the course was set for this new kind of leader. Rehoboam wasn't going to be much of a listener when it came to the people or when it came to God. He was going to be the one calling the shots. He was going to be the one making every sure everything went along with his agenda, all right? Now... The story of this reckless king gives us some insights. So let me tell you one more thing that happens because he kind of backs up his talk, right? Um, king Rehoboam kind of backs up his talk and sends Adoniram 
who had been kind of in charge of, of slave labor for King Solomon. And, 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 and King Rehoboam sends Adoniram up to collect, and, and some really kind of unpleasant things happen at that point. Um, well, well, we'll get there in just a moment. Let's hang on. Look at your outline this morning. If you have your bulletin, I want to share with you just a few, highlight a few differences as we get into the story about kind of good, God-centered, healthy leadership and unhealthy leadership styles, all right? We're just going to go through this really quickly because I think his story gives us really a good image, a good idea of what some successful leadership principles are, um, some ways of leading that bless the community, um, some ways of influencing others that build and edify. And basically, the story does it by telling us, don't be like that guy. Don't be like that guy. So godly leaders versus ungodly Rehoboam style of leaders. Well, godly leaders serve their community. It's on your outline. They serve their community. Ungodly leaders, unhealthy leaders, tend to enslave their community. Or put it another way, because we don't use that word much when it comes to leadership nowadays. They want to control their community, right? I'm in control here. That's what leadership is all about. I'm calling the shots. But godly leaders are serving their community. Godly leaders seek to earn respect. They want to do a great job. They want, they want people to be blessed so that they will earn over time the respect of those that they lead. Ungodly leaders seek to be feared. You know, I could fire you. I could demote you. I could cut your salary. Ungodly leaders seek to be feared, not respected. Godly leaders make well-informed decisions. They can change their minds. They can be influenced by those with more experience, those who have a different idea about how things should go. Ungodly leaders make reckless decisions. Godly leaders listen to those they serve. They listen, right? Reckless leaders, unhealthy leaders, listen to, if they listen to anybody, they're listening to yes men. They're listening to rubber stamp, stamp cronies. Godly leaders will lead others, will, will shepherd others closer and closer to the heart of God, whereas unhealthy leaders lead their communities away from God. Rehoboam chose to live above the people instead of living among the people. Rehoboam chose to ignore the needs of his people instead of meeting the needs of those he was called to lead and protect. Rehoboam wanted to be the boss, not the servant of the people. And the shipwreck that was Rehoboam's reign was catastrophic. The guy was in charge for 17 years, and he managed to really do a lot of damage during those less than two decades. Immediately after informing the people, 
that he would be harsher than his father was, people began to rebel against him. And the rebellion that started on that day continued throughout his entire reign as king and led to a permanently divided nation. He was like the anti-Abraham Lincoln, right? He wasn't interested in united, uniting. He was interested in dividing. So once he delivers this proclamation that my rule is going to be harsher, your taxes are going to go up, your forced labor is going to go up, then he sends Adoniram, who I mentioned earlier. Adoniram, who had served his father, sends Adoniram up north to collect these greater duties and taxes and to collect more slave labor for building projects and to collect more people to serve in the army. That's what he does How well do you think that went? Starting in verse 18. King Rehoboam sent out Adoniram, who was in charge of forced labor. But all Israel stoned him to death. King Rehoboam, however, managed to get into his chariot and escape to Jerusalem. So Israel has been in rebellion against the house of David to this day. As the new king escapes in his chariot, you can almost hear him mumbling, wow, that didn't go according to plan. Um, <laughs> this, this wasn't the way I envisioned my inauguration and, and my launching of my kingdom starting out. Check this out. Rehoboam begins his, his kingdom. He is king over a united nation of 12 tribes. By the time he's finished, he has two tribes under his control. In fact, if you even want to call the tribe of Benjamin a tribe, I mean, it's kind of a a, a tiny little group there. So basically, that is a 90% reduction in the size of his empire during his reign, right? From 12 to two. It's kind of like being, being appointed CEO of Coca-Cola, and you end up your tenure as CEO of a lemonade stand in front of your house. That's kind of what happened to, to Rehoboam, right? Um, not only does he oversee the division of the nation of Israel, not only is he responsible for the shrinking of of this kingdom, he also manages to squander the incredible wealth he had inherited, right? Through David and and especially through Solomon, um, through their kingdoms, the treasuries of the palace and then under Solomon, the treasuries of the temple were bursting with gold and valuables. Under Rehoboam's administration, under his regime, most all of that stuff gets stolen by Egypt and and replaced with cheap substitutes. Listen to this. Um, In verses 25 to 27, listen, listen to this. After Rehoboam had been king for four years, King Shishak of Egypt attacked Jerusalem. He, Shishak, took everything of value from the temple and the palace, including Solomon's gold shields. Rehoboam had bronze shields made to replace the gold ones. So kind of the ultimate symbol of the opulence and the wealth 
of the empire up until he took power were these solid gold shields. I mean, that is some impressive stuff. And he ends up having to have some fakes made to kind of look like the gold shields. Now, I don't know if you keep up with the price of gold um, these days with what the stock market's been doing on and off. You know, you, people keep up with that. It's worth about $1,700 an ounce right now. The price of bronze, well, I mean, you get the point. You get the point. I mean, this guy um, manages to squander the wealth of the kingdom. Um, his, his reign was transformational for Israel. It just wasn't the good kind of transformation. Rehoboam's reverse alchemy converts gold into bronze. Rehoboam's new math of leadership takes 12 tribes and converts those into two tribes. His leadership is a leadership of diminishment. It is a leadership of decline. His leadership takes something great and makes it small. His leadership takes incredible wealth and converts it into scrap metal. That is the legacy of King Rehoboam. And when Rehoboam rejects the advice given to him by these mature counselors, um, he basically makes that turn. Thinking he is going to showboat his power, showboat his position, but in reality, turning into shallow waters and shipwrecking the kingdom over which he had been given the helm. One quite understandable reaction to Rehoboam's story goes like this. Wow, that guy really blew it. You know, thankfully, he and I have nothing in common, right? I mean, I'm not a king, I'm not a royal. Um, I'm not, I haven't inherited fabulous wealth like this guy. So thankfully, woo! You know, there's nothing in common between us. You know, that's an understandable reaction. But as I read the story this week, I heard this, this kind of small voice speaking to me, not so quick. You can get lost in the opulence. You can get lost in, in the status he had as king. Or you can see some character issues going on underneath the surface. And you can say, you know... Maybe I wrestle with some of those same character issues. And if those issues led him toward destruction instead of success, maybe I, you know, maybe I should take, take some notice of that. Because the character concerns of this story matter for my life, just as they mattered for his life. And, and I'm also convinced that all of us, if you will indulge me for a second here, I'm convinced that all of us have a sort of kingdom over which we are responsible. Right? Hear me on this. I mean, all of us have an area of, of dominion, if you will. We have a kingdom, if you will. You have a, a kingdom where you have influence over certain people. I mean, I have a household in which I have influence. I have influence among my coworkers, you know, throughout the work week. Um, I have influence in, in this church here at Preston Crest. You have a dominion. You have a kingdom of sorts as well, over which God has given you responsibility, over which God has given you influence. It may be big, it may be small, whatever, but each of us has a kingdom uh, of sorts, and it, that's a sense in which we share some things in common 
with, with Rehoboam. Now, what we can have as we use our leadership or our influence in this area of dominion, we have an opportunity, right? We have an opportunity to create a place where growth occurs. We have an opportunity to create a place where, where folks around us connect to God. They may be unbelievers, but they will be connecting to God in ways they never would have because of our influence if we use it well. Um, we have an opportunity to transform our kingdom into a place of depth and meaning or not, as the case may be, or not. Um, I would call this Act 3. New Testament, book of Matthew, first chapter in the New Testament. Matthew opens up giving a genealogy of Jesus, right? Matthew is very concerned that his readers get to know the background of Jesus. Matthew is also very concerned to show that Jesus came from a kingly lineage. So Matthew is going to show that Jesus is a product of, of David and Solomon. And then, yes, Rehoboam in Matthew chapter 1. Rehoboam makes this cameo appearance in the New Testament of all places. Jesus was a descendant of King Rehoboam. And while there may have been some similar genetics, there may have been some physical DNA that he carried from Rehoboam, the DNA of Jesus' leadership style couldn't have been more different. I mean, you know where I'm going with this. Jesus was all about leadership as being about humble service. And, and, and even when Jesus' own inner circle, even when Jesus' apostles were seeking to, to, to leverage their relationship with this incredible man, with this incredible God-man, the Messiah, even as they were trying to do that, Jesus was teaching them. Jesus was getting in their world and saying, no, that's not the way it's going to work in my kingdom. I mean, Jesus says in, in Mark chapter 10, kind of rebukes them and and he says, you know that the rulers in this world, guys like Rehoboam, or like people you may know, you know that rulers in this world lord it over the people. Officials flaunt their authority over those under them. But among you, it will be different. Among you, it will be different. Whoever wants to be a leader among you, must be your servant. And so leaders, you know, before you dive into the latest issue of Harvard Business Review, before you grab the latest, you know, business bestseller on tricks to make you a better manager or a better executive, um, that stuff can be good. That stuff can be valuable. But Jesus says, consider first the heart of leadership. Consider first, why is it in the first place, why is it that you have gotten yourself into leadership? Jesus says, you know, what is it that motivates you? What, what, is it a, a desire to serve others? 
or is it a desire to be the boss? Is it a compulsion to be in charge or is it a compulsion to respond to the needs that you see around you? Jesus had this way of getting to the heart of things, didn't he? Other leadership advice may have some value, but, but what Jesus does is, is he tells us, keep first things first. Jesus tells us that good leadership comes from, comes from a beautiful place in the heart of the person called the lead. Good leadership comes from this deep longing to serve, to make a difference, to help others out. And one of the critical mistakes that both King Rehoboam makes and Captain Shatino made last month, one of the critical mistakes is disabling a navigation system designed to keep them off the rocks. Okay, with Shatino, it's pretty obvious. He flips a switch. The alarm is turned off. With Rehoboam, I think it's pretty obvious as well. This navigation system, these trusted, wise advisors, disabled. Don't want to hear from you guys anymore. And Jesus speaks into this, and Jesus gives us a navigational system for everybody. Man, woman, child. He gives us this navigation system for life that could very well keep us off of the, of the rocks of disaster where we could shipwreck, shipwreck our career or our family or our ministry. This is it. Really simple. Going to go quick here. Mark chapter 12. You're familiar with the great commands here, right? Mark chapter 12. Jesus says, this is God's GPS for your life. Number one, love God deeply and completely. Just love Him. Be passionate about God. And then Jesus says, love others as you love yourself. Think about others. Think about what they need just as you think about you and what you need. Love God. Love others. Jesus says, that's what life is all about. Clearly, Rehoboam had disabled this system, right? I mean, when it came to listening to God, when it came to being passionate about what God wanted for him and for his kingdom and for his legacy, the Bible kind of gives this summary of his reign in 2 Chronicles 12, 14. It says, he, Rehoboam, did evil because he had not set his heart on seeking the Lord. Didn't love God. Just didn't. A lot of people don't. Rehoboam was one of those. Didn't love God. Love people? Well, we already saw how that worked. Rejected what people needed. Rejected the humble requests made by his people. Didn't care about the hardships they had gone through. Jesus, this, this new king, after the lineage of David, says, here it is, guys. Love God, love others. That's what it is all about. And in the entire body of scriptures, Jesus says in Mark 12, 31, there is no commandment greater. There is no commandment greater than these. Nothing supersedes loving God and loving people. At Preston Crest, we have taken this 
this core of what Jesus says is most important. We've said this is our mission. This is our vision statement. We're going to use this to try to keep us on track. We're going to try to use this to keep us in the deep waters of God's love. And so we put it on the front of our bulletin. We put it artwork in the lobby there to remind us this is what is going to guide us as a family on our journey together. Now, close with, with one final word here. Let me compliment you this morning. You're here. You came here this morning to remember the Lord Jesus. You came here this morning to worship God. What a great way to start your week. Some of you brought your kids here this morning. What a great way to help them start their week. You made a good choice today. Now, here's the thing. Um, you're going to make a lot of other choices this week. I mean, you're going to have dozens and dozens of decisions that you personally will be called on to make. From the time you open your eyes in the morning to the time you lay your head on a pillow at night, you're going to make a lot of decisions. I think what Jesus is inviting us to do, what the eternal King of Kings is asking you to do, is to filter those decisions through this system of valuing what life is all about. Loving God, loving others. Some of those decisions will be big. Some of them will be small. Filter all of them through this lens of loving God and loving others. Will you do that this week? Will you let the Spirit of God take the helm of your life and steer you into the deep waters of God's love?